0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn first to Ephesians chapter 2. There's a little rabbit trail I want to run before we start. It won't cost you any more. The subject this morning, I thought probably you've gotten enough of it, but God says do it again. I don't preach two sermons over, so it's all different always. But I've said all parts of this before, but it's something I think that catches us modern-day Christians somewhat by surprise. I don't think even for those who of us who know about it know to what extent it involves us. And it's all about this war that is going on continually between God's children and Satan himself. It's every day. Until we get to that place to where we have overcome Satan. And it says, and we'll see this morning, that the Bible says that we can. I don't think we'll ever get to the place to where he never bothers us. But he'll quit coming our way and making passes at us because we just simply won't give him any encouragement. Our Bible says, don't make a place for the devil. And we unwittingly, I think, find out that we do that all the time. One of the most interesting conversations I ever had was with a missionary who worked with the street kids in Houston, Texas. He got in a conversation one day, one day with a 17, 18-year-old Spanish boy Mexican boy there in Houston. And he got to talking with a demon that was possessing him. And he asked the demon, how did you come to come into this boy? And he said, I rode in on sin. So this boy chose to participate in a sin. And in doing that, he brought this demon into his, into his life as a part of that. That can't happen to save people. It has to be unsaved people that, have, that are possessed with, with demons. They can oppress us. They can influence us. They can tempt us, but they can't make us do anything. But the unsaved, they can make do anything they want to do. And in the time of Jesus, a man walking the streets of Jerusalem knew this. They couldn't even walk by a graveyard without somebody rushing out that was demon-possessed trying to beat them up and take the clothes off of They understood that a whole lot better than we do today. But with all that being said, it says in the third chapter of Genesis, you don't have to turn there, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That is a very, very interesting statement. When you look it up, it said of all the things that were created, all the beasts, all the, the animals, all the humans that were created by God, Satan was the most cunning He was the smartest in a bad way. He used every intuition he had to do something bad. The thing that impresses me the most in my studies of Satan was that he wants to undermine God's work and God's work in this world is with us. So it's all about us and he wants to tear down that relationship or any progress that could be made by us in that relationship with God. But his greatest desire is not to be caught. Essentially, that word means sneaky. He is the sneakiest thing that God ever created. A lot of talk is going on nowadays about people with mental health. So many of them that we hear about have all the symptoms of demon possession and demon oppression according to our Bible. There are two places in scripture that I know of where God separates mental illness and demon oppression. Two places. so they're not the same thing. We treat them like they're the same thing, but they're not. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you, talking about born-again believers, hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, God has made us alive and brought us out of our sinful ways, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of the world. Before you were born again, you walked according to the course or the behavior of the world, the unsaved according to the prince of the power of the air. Now you know who that is. That's Satan. We walked according to whatever he wanted us to do. And that's one thing that people don't realize, that all these people out here who we see on every day who are unsaved people, who are not born again, who are not Christians, who are not part of the way, They walk according to what Satan wants them to do. He doesn't give them all an automatic rifle and put them in a school to shoot people. But they are under his control. It says so in the fourth chapter of Second Timothy. The spirit, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit... Yet now worketh in the children of disobedience. You have the spirit of Christ in you. God made it where you could partake of his divine nature when you were born again. But those that are not born again are operating with the spirit in their body of Satan himself. among whom also we all had our behavior in times past in the lust of our flesh. What is the sign of a person who is unsaved and the sign of some people who are saved who do not have any self-control? Is they exercise the lust of their flesh. That is the sign. They do what they are tempted to do. They do not have control enough over themselves to say, no, Satan, I'm not going to do it. Fulfilling the desires of their flesh and of the mind, the flesh and the mind, remember that, and were by nature the children of Satan, even as others. By nature, they were the children of wrath. The children of Satan. And the next two words in verse four are the two most important words in scripture, from one end of the book to the other. But God. When we weren't even looking for him, but God. When we were living in with the spirit of Satan, doing what we wanted to do, what felt good. <coughs> But God came along and grabbed us up and took us and made us Christians. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. (coughs) and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's who we are now. And God did it. But God, showing how we were, but God came in and meddled in our business and made us all children of his. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But God saved us. Now, to continue our sermon from last week and the last several weeks really, when God made us Christians through Jesus Christ, we became like Christ, our oldest brother, the firstborn of God, the firstborn of the church. And because he was given authority over everything in heaven and in earth, because he was so obedient, he became a student of godly things. We saw last week where with the possession of the Holy Spirit there at his baptism in the Jordan is when he did, after that's when he did his first miracle. People talk about Jesus doing miracles in sandboxes when he was a little kid. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because it was not his time yet, he told his mother. He was like us. In all things, Hebrews says. So we need to be a student like Jesus Christ was a student. He learned everything, the Bible says, by the things he suffered. So we're going to suffer. I mean, he says in this world you shall have tribulation, but take cheer, I've overcome the world. So we've got to experience trouble. That is one of the few ways we learn. So we need to be a student. Now that we are Christian, we need to be a student of godly things just like Jesus was. We need to pay attention to those things. And we'll see what the scripture says about it. In Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, let's look at that. But we are bound, Paul says to the church in writing to the church at Thessalonica, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now look at those last two statements. When we are born again and we're saved, we we become saved through the whole process by two things, by sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, he cleans us up as we learn how a Christian is supposed to be and supposed to think, let this mind be in you that also was in Christ Jesus. Because you said it said, In the other, we did things that our mind told us to do and Satan told us to do because our minds weren't right. But it says here, the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. That's the way we become guaranteed saved is because we learn about God. The sanctification word is about cleaning us up, is about setting us apart For himself, God did. It's like grandma's fine china. She didn't use it every day, did she? She kept it in a cabinet, probably with a glass on the front of it. She only used it for special occasions. People, that's the way God is treating you. He has sanctified or set you apart not to be like everything else. And then you believe the truth. That's the other thing. What is the truth? The truth is God's word. I believe Jesus wrote every bit of it. So by believing about God, he says in Chronicles that a spiritual person knows and understands me. That's what God says. So what we try to do through this book is learn and understand about God and who he is and what he wants and how he wants us to live. Now, how does he clean us up? This is part of the sanctification process, the cleaning up process. Turn to 1 John Chapter two. As one fellow said, this might not be too long of an idea, but it sure is a hard one. Because I tell you what it'll do with you. <laughs> As one old fellow said, it'll make you like a cat with just smelled a snake, and he doesn't know exactly where it is. You'll start watching for everything. Why? Because you begin to see what Satan is all about in your life and what he is trying to do with you and the way he has described or disguised himself as the world. Satan comes at you all the time and you have no clue it's him. That's the reason he gets by so many of us so many times. First John, chapter 2, and verse 14. John says, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. You're born again, you're saved, you know him, you know God through Jesus Christ. I have written unto you young men because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. <laughs> do you know you can do that? If you couldn't, John wouldn't have written And ye have overcome the wicked one. How? By knowing enough about God, and by knowing enough about the way Satan worked, that you recognize what's God's and what's Satan's. And you say no to Satan and yes to God. That's the way it works. You believe the truth. And through that, you become God's goal. G-O-A-L for a Christian to be. That's Jesus Christ. He sent him to be the example for us. And I think I have shown in the last several weeks at least that you have all the capabilities of doing just exactly what Jesus did. There's only one thing that he had that we don't have, and he didn't have an old sin nature. But other than that, Jesus in every sense, according to Hebrews, was just like us. Now here is the message. In verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. (laughs) What now? Love not the world, or the things that are in the world. What does Satan do? He takes our mind off of God. He takes our mind off of the love of Jesus. He takes our mind off of the things that God wants us to participate in and puts it on things. Did you know that everything you might really want may very well be one of those things that pull you away from God? Look at what he says. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now the first one is the lust of the flesh. Now let me explain about this word lust. Of all the material I can get on this word, the way the Bible uses it, the way it was used and meant to be used, when it was first placed in the Bible, is a longing for something. And a longing for something means that it stays on your mind a pretty good bit of the time. Do you think about something all the time? So you ask yourself the question, this thing that God has got me thinking about, this thing that I'm thinking about, does God want me to think about it? This thing that I want, is it something God wants me to have or is it something I want? Is it something that maybe God is testing me about? I meant that, that God's testing me, yes, but Satan is tempting me about it. For all that is in the world, and he listed the lust of the flesh, that is simply, that feels good, and I want it. And the lust of the eyes, and that looks good, and I want that. My mama used to tell my brother and I when we were little bitty tots, whatever I looks at, I wants. Whenever we'd say, I want that. She'd say, yeah, everything you look at, you want. And I learned that lesson when, I, by the time at least I was four or five years old because she kept throwing it at Mac and I all the time. A kid that age wants everything. You know that. The lust of the eyes, that looks good. And the pride of life. Oh, that makes me look good. Those are the things that Satan uses things that Satan uses to pull us away from the life with God that God wants us to have through Jesus Christ. The things. The lust of the flesh, that feels good. I want a part of that. The lust of the eyes, that looks good. I want that. And the pride of life that will make me look good to everybody, and I want that. That's usually the basis right there for everything. But it says here in verse 16, that stuff is not of the Father. God's not behind that. But it's of the world. And I've got written in parentheses right by that word world, Satan. It's of Satan. It's a thing that God allows us to be tempted with by Satan to see if we're going to give in. Now as we said last week, John says that false prophets are already out in the world. The antichrist, the spirit of antichrist is already out here. Think for a moment. If you think it's hard to grasp that idea, how long ago you think maybe they started seminaries, schools for teaching preachers? And if you think Satan is not slick enough to put a false teacher in a seminary, to teach all the young preachers coming out of there just a little bit of error, Not enough to get caught. Satan's not going to jump out in front of anybody with that red suit and that long tail with that little air thing on the end of it and set a horn. He's not going to do that. because you're going to say, oh, that's Satan, and not have anything to do with it. That's not the way he operates, people. Satan disguises himself as things that will harm you that you don't realize will harm you because he's trying to destroy that relationship you have with your father. So it's around every corner because you know what the difference is? Do you know what the difference is between a good thing and a bad thing? Do you know what the difference is between a thing that can advance you, that can please you, that can bless you, and something that can put a curse on you and bring you down and separate you from God? You know what the difference is? You're mine. (laughs) That's where it is, right here. It's how you handle it. Well, I don't really need that. Don't really want it. It would be nice if I had it. But if God wants me to have it, I'll get it. I'll just go on and not think about it. That's one way. And the other way is go sign your name to something that's going to cost you something a month that you're not going to be able to afford for the next six years. Well that's 72 months, isn't it? Isn't that six years? That's the way they got things paid for now. It's not about they don't even tell you how much the cost is. You can get a brand new bathroom in one day, and it's not but thirty-nine dollars a month. That's the way they sell it to you. People don't worry about the cost. They won't know what's it going what's the payments. How much is it gonna cost me every month? I can have that thing. Now for you, you that may be close to 80, you can remember like I can the days when everybody didn't have a nice looking car. Everybody didn't have a three or 4,000 square foot house. A lot of people walked to work. A lot of people probably were a little bit cool at night until they got under the covers. People didn't have money that they could play with and throw around and do whatever they wanted to. Most of you, I imagine, can remember a time when you really had to watch your pennies to get by every month until you got where you could make something enough to where you'd have a little bit extra. The world has changed. Our government today is using the ideology that if you need something, I mean, if you are below this level, I'm going to chase you down and hunt you and give you a check from the federal government so you'll vote for me the next time. That's the ideology that's working in this country today. Now let me tell you this, (laughs) if you don't believe that our country's upside down, cut on that TV over there in the corner. You don't have to watch too long, because Roy Rogers and Gene Autry will go off and then they'll get something on there that'll upset you. It really will. And the only person that's happy that this world is upside down is Satan himself. You know why? Because it's a success story for him. Because he's the one behind all of it. If you don't, if you think things work like God wants them to, try to get a live voice on the telephone with Social Security that speaks with your accent. That you figure is probably in an office thirty miles down the road. Hi, I'm Fred. And you can tell when he says Fred, he's from Bangladesh or somewhere because you sure can't understand it. And I just tell them, look, I'm a hick from the centers of Alabama. Please, if you're going to try to sell me something, give somebody my number so they can call me and talk where I can understand them because otherwise I'm not going to listen to you. And I hang up on them. That's the way our world has become. Nothing is practical anymore. Nothing is common sense anymore. And I tell you what, you look in this book right here and excluding miracles, you find me something that Jesus had any part of that wasn't common sense. He had more common sense than anybody's ever lived. we were by nature children of wrath, children of Satan. And we see that on our TVs today, folks. And a lot of them are in Washington. They really are. And they've got to a place, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? You've got to be liars because your father was a liar. He was the father of all lies. He's talking about Satan. And I've seen people on my TV that can look at you and lie, one lie right after another, and they never even wiggle their eyes. Their eyes don't quiver. They don't look down. They're not ashamed of it. They've got no conscience. They can look at you and tell you ten lies, and you can't look at them and tell any different. They got a power behind them to do that. And it is the power of the spirit of Satan. He's doing pretty good, by the way. If you hadn't noticed, he's patting himself on the back. He thinks he's doing a pretty good job. And I know he's read the end of the book. He knows what's going to happen to him sooner or later. That might be the reason he's in a little bit of a rush right now. He disguises himself as things and gets us thinking about things and how nice it would be to have that thing and we don't have time to think about God. James 4.4 says the friendship of the world is enmity with God. I said that one time in a Sunday school lesson about 20 years ago and a lady got up out of that lesson with a huff and made it straight to the preacher's office and said, Brother Joe is telling us that we're enemies of God because we love the world. He waved to me as I was going by the office. He said, did you tell him that? I said, yeah, I just showed him where it said it in the Bible. I didn't make it up. I just told him what the Bible said. But now let me show you something. Look at verse 17. Now here's the common sense in the whole lesson. Everything that's been said today comes with verse 17. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, the lust that we have that we're tempted with by Satan and preached against by God is going to go away. Praise God. I'm not going to lust forever. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You hear that? The obeyers don't die, O-B-E-Y-E-R-S, obeyers. They don't die. They can't die. They live forever. Because they've done what God told them to do, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the question then comes back to me. Cause see, when I step around from here, I'm just like y'all. You got to understand that. I have to work at what God tells me to do the same thing you work at what God tells you because most of this stuff is to everybody. Preachers too. A lot of them don't think that, but it is. So where do I give my priority? God started dealing with me like this about 50 years ago. And I had to learn that my priority wasn't where it needed to be. And I was thinking too much of this thing's over here. Because you see, everywhere God talks about idol worshipers in the New Testament. He also talks about wanting things to be, wanting things too bad, too bad. So we put something that we want ahead of our desire to be like God. And that's where I was. I'll tell you straight up, and I fought with it for a while until I got to taste in God's way, his path, and I found out that little by little that his path tastes better than mine did. And I wanted to be right in the middle of where he wanted me to be instead of right in the middle of where I wanted to be because there were some folks around me that were good friends of mine that was going my path, their path, and they weren't doing so good. So where do you give your priority? What is your priority? You're the only one that can answer that because you see, your mind is where everything is. How do you treat this thing? Is your mind right about it or is it not right about it? Do you lust after it? Do you think about it all the time? Are you waiting or saving until you can get your hands on it? Don't let it get between you and God. He does not care for that and I am proof of that. I know that as much as I know anything. He does not like for us the ones that he but God stepped out of the corner and grabbed us and made children out of us. And he doesn't appreciate us putting any things ahead of him. You say, well, I don't know. This is pretty strong. Yes, it is. (laughs) But you know, the proof of it's all around you. It really is, if you think about it, give it a fair shot of what the Bible has said This is not my idea. This is what the Bible said. All I did was read it to you. Gather it together and read it to you. You remember that Christian singer by the name of Terry Gibbs? Remember her? She was blind. She wrote that song about Lord, it's the devil. Would you look at him? I've thought about it, but I never dreamed he'd have blue eyes and blue jeans. (laughs) You remember that song? Believe it or not, I don't care what Hollywood says, Satan doesn't dress in red long underwear. He doesn't have those two little horns sitting up here. And he doesn't have a long tail with an arrowhead on the end of it. He's an angel. You remember when the three angels came to see Abraham about Lot? They made themselves to look like people. But Abraham recognized that something wasn't just exactly right about them and he figured out they were angels. If angels of heaven can change their self into whatever shape to look like anything they want to, they can have blue eyes, (laughs) they can look good in blue jeans, and they can fool you if you're not careful. And Satan is an angel that has all of those qualities, And it says some of his demons are fulfilling pulpits today as false teachers. Angels of light. They have changed themselves into angels of light. So be careful what you want. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you listen to. Try every spirit to make sure the ones you believe are of God. And you've got to do that yourself. I can't do that for you. I can tell you what I say is truth. I can tell you that the Word is truth. But I can't make up your mind for how you're going to handle something. That's every one of us's deal. And something I cut out, I'll bring here and read it to you. It just crossed my mind. Didn't plan to use it. But a Lutheran pastor who was killed in the ovens in Germany during World War II by Hitler said that he had learned about God's will and it wasn't a set of rules that you learn to live by. He said God's will for each one of us and it's different for each one of us, it is. Starts out every morning as you wake up. And as you walk with God that day, the decisions he wants you to make, the way you, he wants you to make them is the way you live in God's will. It's different every day. That's the reason I say we've got to have a working relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Learn to recognize his voice so he can tell you what is of God and what is not of God, because sometimes we can't tell it ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for teaching us. I thank you for sharing with us this very, very sneaky kind of a Bible principle that Satan doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want anybody to recognize his work. So he's out to try to fool all of us. Give us the truth, Lord. Lord. So as we see the truth, we'll know not to touch anything he wants us to have anything to do with. Let us learn to make our decisions of our lives and where we're going and the things we're going to do and the things we're going to have and the things we're not going to have. Make us rely on answers from the Holy Spirit for what we need to do about those things that come into our life, the things of the world. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for it. And we thank you again in the name of Jesus. Amen.